All right, welcome to another episode of the CTN podcast. Um, really quick, I'd like to thank our sponsors by drinking it right now, the antioxidant water. I don't know if it's in stores yet, but that's where we're drinking. Samsung Tech for all the cool hardware, friends over at Swoop, Catalyst Case, and our host here at Equal Space. Thanks for, for tuning in. Today joining me are my good friends, uh, Jared and Keith. So Jared Lindzen. Yep. All right, I said that perfectly, fantastic. <laughs> And Keith, don't tell me, uh, Nelson. Yes. Uh, dude, nice. <laughs> and uh, they're both freelance journalists. Keith, of course, uh, just recently uh, you were with uh, Digital Trends. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Jared is written for uh, the New York Times, Fast Company, just to name a few. Uh, thanks for, for coming out and making the trek to Jersey, guys. Thanks for having us. Hey, thanks um, for having me, man. Yeah, um, we were recently just talking about, like, Literally just now talking about cell phones and, and cameras and so on and so forth. The yeah. only thing that is separating phones these days is, is cell phone, is on cameras. I mean, mm-hmm. not to go too deep into it, but like I, I whenever I was um, talking to like the mobile editors at mm-hmm. Digital Trends, they would always just do hands-on and show like the great new features. And I would sit there and go, so what's the change? What's the big, what's the big feature? It's like, oh, new processor, mm-hmm. new tech messages, mm-hmm. new way to like do FaceTime. I'm like, okay, cool. That's just, That's the... Same as the other phone, just mm-hmm. more people can now FaceTime. Like, and I think we were talking about. Like, pull the mic a little bit. And we was talking about no, like you could how, just how there should be phones that are geared towards audio more than just fo- the photo. I think that's the space that hasn't been really tapped into or touched. Like, I mean, there's accessories where you can attach a, a microphone, have like some really high quality audio, but it's not even. I don't think it's the same as like how many accessories you can get for a camera and like, all the rigs you can get for. The camera and how much iPhones just put their entire marketing push towards is shot on the mm-hmm. iPhone. So this is why you should buy it because mm-hmm. you can get these cool pictures. Mm-hmm. You know, I think tech in general is pretty much just improving on old ideas now. There's mm-hmm. nothing yep. really new. It's like the newest version of we slightly improved this yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, there hasn't been a major jump forward in a long time, so I'm hoping that's around the corner sometime. It, there's a lot of talk about, like, bendable screens, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there that's being worked on and developed, and, you know, you see viral videos once in a while of something that really blows your mind, and it's like, how long before that's in my pocket? Like, oh, you know, yeah. just like eight to ten years. <laughs> <laughs> like forever from now. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. One, uh, the one thing I'm looking forward to the most are, is the, this movement of modular phones, like mm-hmm. with the Moto, the Moto, um, yeah, Moto Z Force, and how you can like, it blew my mind when I mean I got mine for free because I was just just a perk and shit like that. Yeah. But to be able to take off the back of your phone and then put a speaker, put uh, a big camera, a, a big a, microphone, a camera, yeah. put a projector, a really a good projector, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. just some like oh this is a crackerjack box projector, like mm. an actual you know I think it was 1080p, it wasn't like in, insane mm-hmm. 4K quality, but it was like for and it kind of cost, I think, cost like two hundred dollars. So it's like it's, the price point is still too high for it to be like everybody can go get it. But like once it comes down, and it's been, and there's more phones and more um, makers invested in just being like, hey, we'll sell you the phone. The phone will be like two hundred dollars, but you can just mix and match and add certain things to it. I think Google did something like that before with modular phones, but they didn't really push it as hard as they, they should have. I, I think the next big thing in phones is like mixed reality so mm-hmm. i'm thinking like ar built into your camera where you yeah, walk yeah. into a store and displays are sort of like holographic style mm-hmm. type type stuff i was talking to a friend of mine 
um he he just came back from europe he said he used the google translator really heavily out there which was really cool i haven't really had the chance to use it yet but he was out in Paris, and he would use the Google Translator to sort of have conversations with. Yeah, I didn't think it was at that level yet. Yeah, it is. Like, I, I mean, I, that kind of blew me away. That, the, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's super practical and handy. And, yeah. yeah. So um, between AR and developers finding new ways to integrate, like, you know, apps and figure out how to use certain technologies outside of, like, you know, the current use cases or whatever, I think, you know but nothing radical like you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a little while away. And I also feel like uh, the market moves with Apple in a lot of ways, you know, like they're, yeah. They're yeah. the market leader. And there's certain things that are just a no-go for Apple, like modular phones. I couldn't see Apple ever doing a modular yeah. phone. Yeah. They're all about simplicity and, you know, taking apart a phone and messing around with it. That's for specific, that's not mass appeal. That's a specific segment of yeah. the market. So I don't see Apple doing that anytime soon, which means that it's not going to be the standard anytime soon but i'm hoping that more like the moto z comes out or even just you know i've got a samsung i'm hoping that i could potentially just plug in a high quality projector you know easily clips onto the back or even you know little little pieces that you can just add on to take your phone to the next level i think that's really cool that'd be super convenient yeah i just want i'm wondering if i guess do you do you see apple ever becoming more open with like how to like with, with the ecosystem and like their phones no, and everything. No, that. no, <laughs> they're they're the largest company on the planet yeah. because they're closed. And, they're and not I they're not opening. That's the best way to to do it, right? You you have less like you know bugs. You have less issues because you have software that's made specifically with the hardware in mind. Whereas most people that are using Android based phones, it's like it's software that's supposed to be like one size fits all. But mm-hmm. you know, that's a good point. Yeah. So I, I think they're, Apple's very concerned about like the user experience and the best way to oversee that is to keep everything in-house. Which makes me interested in what, what their AR push is gonna be like. Cause they, I mean, they had, they had the yeah. AR kit out and there's things that have been developed with that. I was wondering how deep they're gonna go invest in that. Cause wouldn't it, they would have to make their own kind of like their own AR, AR headset, everything from the ground up. They it wouldn't be yeah. able to like use yeah. anything else. And with something so new, wouldn't it be kind of like hard for the for the average consumer to get into when it's something just so new and it's like there's already been other ones that are been have been out before apple i think over time like you know the the barrier of entry becomes like easier you remember when like flat screen tvs came out like a 32 inch was like for like yeah. 720p was like like a thousand dollars now it's like maybe 150 like yeah. i was walking through shop right they had like flat screens on sale for like a hundred bucks mm. you know i think over time like in the next three four years by by christmas time i'd be surprised if there weren't new like you know the leaps in in vr ar tech so next two years i'm, I'm thinking like something radical and like super accessible mm-hmm I think it's it's going to take a, a push in the hardware just to make that more convenient, more portable, and more affordable. Because right now that's sort of the barrier that they're dealing with. Where if you want to have a true, uh, you know, VR experience, it takes a helmet or you know a large piece of hardware. I, I like the ones where you can clip your phone in, but even that, it's a big piece of hardware. Um, it's you can't just like carry it around in your pocket. You know, yeah, like yeah. that's you're sitting down and doing that as an experience, but it, it doesn't just come with yeah. you. You know, yeah. so. I think there's going to be incremental improvements in the hardware, mm-hmm. uh, and then it you know starts to get more popular. And that's kind of, and that's kind of why they're doing a lot more destination VR instead of just mm-hmm. instead of just like mobile VR. So like they'll have like, I think IMAX has like a VR theater or like yeah. a, a VR center where you can go there and watch 
a bunch of different like experiences and even Samsung has one um in the Meatpacking District yeah. in New York where you can just go and just check out all of these cool like little you know rides where you can like get like, get rolled around in a chair and stuff like that because I don't know if, if like I think they they realize that you can wait if you, if you wait too long people will just not not care yeah. about it if you wait too long and wait till the, till the technology catches up to it people are gonna not care and it's not gonna be as good as, as you want it to be on top of the fact that the the best looking VR comes from the ones that are the, the um, room scale yeah and you need like the, like the vibes and the opposite rift so you need like high powered computing and you need like a lot of space you can't just be like in a train sitting in yeah the seat. because yeah. the the vibe setup I have I have a um, MSI laptop and okay. not everyone's gonna go out and spend like Twenty five hundred, three grand on on a laptop, and then on top of that, you know, you have to spend another five hundred on the, the rig and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's it's still really expensive. I will say that it, it's not. It's hard to say it's not worth it to me, honestly, because if if you've had a, a good, a really good VR experience, like just something simple as like um, Google Maps. Like I remember yeah. when the first I mean, oh, Google Earth. The first time I used Google Earth with the Oculus, with the, um, the Vive, I was blown away. I was like. You serious? I could just like use my hand and just fly around the world and like <laughs> change the change the night and day. Yeah, it was pretty insane. You could draw yeah. around you. It's you know I think that's especially in gaming like the oh, man. yeah it was most of the most of the uses right now most of the applications so far sort of entertainment. It's mm-hmm. usually how it starts yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. Although I've seen some uh, early attempts at uh, news doing, you know, yeah. covering stories with, mm-hmm. you know, you put on an AR headset or VR headset and all of a sudden, you know, you're off the coast of Greece watching immigrants come in on the boatload. Yeah. You know, like yeah. there's to putting you into the story, you know, really goes next level when you've got that helmet on, you're, you're fully mm-hmm. immersed, you know, like you're. Yeah you're really there you feel the story and there's a lot of potential in storytelling in that medium but until everyone's got one of those headsets you know in their home it's not going to reach a lot of people i saw the like i think mark zuckerberg and facebook did this sort of stream with like i I forget which disaster that was yeah i saw a clip from that i was like jesus (laughs) where they're little cartoon characters little cartoon characters like puerto rico maybe and they're like yeah it was puerto rico it was puerto rico it was like look at the devastation high five (laughs) yeah it was uh, terrible pr right there jesus yeah um so (laughs) horrible segue but um (laughs) I'm sure you guys heard the news about um, Alex Jones. Yeah. yeah. So um, I guess we could sort of touch on that. But to me, the the more fascinating topic is what's behind that and what role does the First Amendment play in like, you know, on social platforms? This isn't like a public forum. These these platforms are are owned and run by private companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, the argument's been made that their monopolies and there are very few alternatives so and there's also a slippery slope argument there where if you start shutting out the alex jones of the world that's the first step towards more censorship and having to define what is and what isn't allowed and then having to enforce that definition and then you know it's it's sort of like uh, yeah where does it go from here i I get that argument and i think um the 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 main problem like you said is the point is that it's trying to figure out what is what is deemed as offense, offensive content? What's, what's deemed as um, taking people worthy of, of expulsion from the from the, from the platform? Because I was, I think um, it was either Zuckerberg or was um, somebody a representative for Facebook who was saying that they, they they're not going to take off or they didn't take off um, Alex Jones's page at first because he didn't break any of their rules. He didn't break any of their, their policies of like 
harassment or spreading false false information and things like that. And then people was like, he's directly having false conspiracies. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so the line, I was like, isn't that his whole thing? That's, yeah. And that's where the line gets blurred is that what's the difference between opinion and a conspiracy theory where you're trying to push a certain agenda, propaganda, and, and an opinion. And I think that's that's where it gets kind of blurred because that's the whole point of Facebook is is to be able to have an open share of information, connect people across the world, and Facebook and Twitter, all these all these platforms. But at the same time, like we've seen before, Facebook has, and Zuckerberg said himself, he undervalued how influential this platform is to changing the world and affecting people's decisions, as we've seen with the election. Mm-hmm. It's it's also, I mean, with the Alex Jones case in particular, he's one of the few where you can actually point to acts of violence yeah. that have directly result from things that he said mm-hmm. and done. Yeah. And so it's it's one of those few. You're not going to be able to do that in most cases, uh, you know, just based off of the words that someone's posting. But it, this is one of the rare examples where you can say, well, this Pizzagate madness, where a guy yeah. ran into a, yeah. a pizza shop with a rifle. He said that was because Alex Jones and the conspiracy mm-hmm. theory world yeah. that he's part of was pushing him into doing that. So it, it's, yeah, it, you're not going to be able to find that very often, but this is one of the few cases where you can actually point to it and say this was a violent activity that directly resulted from what he was saying. And I think if you're going to draw a line somewhere, that's where you draw I think that's where you draw the line, although, like I said, it's kind of hard to, to make those rules and enforce it and, you know, make them universal. It's, but it's such a weird space for me because one, at, at what point do we say, okay, well, how responsible can we hold Alex Jones for right. this guy's actions? Because in turn, you know, in this, like, you know, not to go to get too political in this current political climate, there's been a lot of, as some people would call it, like, you know, whistleblowing, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, you know, the dog whistle where certain language is being used and empowering people who wouldn't ordinarily go out and do certain things coded language yes. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so it, it's rough for me because i've never been a fan of alex jones i've never really enjoyed his message but i'm of two minds of it because he's said things that have bothered me but as a media guy i've always been very pro first amendment. yeah pro yeah. first amendment I don't like what you're saying, but I'll defend your right to say whatever you want yeah. because I don't want anyone to shut me up. So, yeah, but it, but if yes, but are you? Would you ever? Here's the thing. I think it also comes down to an, an intent, and I think that's where everything is blurry is because we don't know if he's intentionally spreading false information. Well, according to that lawsuit, he's uh, he's putting on a character. It's not. Yeah, 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 yeah it's yeah. in the custody <laughs> lawsuit. I think with his wife. Yeah, um, he's claiming that it's just a character. It's art. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's performance yeah, it's art. It's performance art. But I think it's also dangerous with a character like Alex Jones, specifically, who's peddling conspiracy theories. Number one, because there have been some wild conspiracy theories that have proven to be true yeah. and the people who first brought them up were probably being silenced at the time and it turns out that some of this crazy stuff was actually a reality and mm-hmm. you know the people who were talking about it knew the truth the other thing is because he talks about conspiracy theories this is yet another piece of ammunition for his audience this doesn't push his audience away this is a proof point this is yeah. the mainstream media the tech industry the liberal elites are out to get me they're trying to shut me down and here's the proof right now so I don't think this takes away his power. I think to his core audience, this gives him more power. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. is the argument's been made the the First Amendment is basically been more so attacked by people on the left than than anyone like you know on the right or the extreme right. 
we were in a like very sensitive time so there are certain things that i mean even me like you know when certain topics come up i'm like eesh yeah <laughs> land landmines um so yeah. it, it gets tricky it, it's especially from a media perspective i feel like if you're reporting the news or you're talking about something that happened you have a duty to report factual information yes watering it down because someone might get offended is doing a disservice to to people in general it's tough it's so tough you know like there was uh, when i was in uh college uh ann coulter came to speak to our school yeah. and that sounds fun oh yeah um that i wasn't in the fun. auditorium but she said a few things that you know i was actually working for the student newspaper at the time and we had some reporters that weren't out and, and covered it and mm-hmm. she said some things that like really shook me to to hear somebody say that and then to hear that a room full of people applauded it. That scared the bejesus out of me. I was really uncomfortable with it and I had to sort of, at that point, you know, still early in my career as a journalist, just kind of starting, I had to sort of decide for myself, like is is this the sort of thing that I want to encourage by defending that sort of First Amendment right or is this the sort of thing that I I think leads to a, a dangerous place? And, you know, I kind of settled on, on the former that it's better that, you know, these people who, who have that opinion are going to think that way and trying to shut them out and trying to not let them have those conversations only empowers them and, and makes those Agreed. opinions stronger. 100%. At the same time, it, it, it feels like it also riles them up and people who might have these, you know, ideas and beliefs and previously thought they were alone they feel empowered by being around this community of people that are applauding some very horrendous statements so it's you know i i've made the decision but i'm still not totally comfortable with it that yeah yeah, absolutely first amendment rights are extremely important more popular i mean we're sitting here talking about him but alex jones has gotten more popular because of the the whole shutout and it basically to his core audience justifies what he's saying as see they're trying to shut him up mm-hmm. i think the best way to i think the way society wants to handle things now is like you know sweep it under the rug if someone's saying something that we don't approve of racially like in terms of the roseanne situation instead of taking the opportunity to make it a teachable moment because like yeah like you know certain things might offend me but i would rather engage you in a conversation versus okay you have to go away now and all that does is like i mean i didn't solve anything mm-hmm. you can't and just pretend that segment yeah. of the population doesn't where do exist. these people go like we it's not like we're we're tossing you out into like you know a black hole somewhere or into the ether like you basically huddle up with like-minded people you create this sort of bubble environment where there's an echo chamber where yeah. you guys sort of yeah, yeah. they all get the same vote you do so how exactly. do you but then like, my, my my gripe is when do you because it, it's, it's always going to be fringe communities and fringe um like uh, like little groups and uh, try to push certain um, agendas at the, at the whole QAnon thing going on right now. It's like before they were, you know, they were just some, something on 4chan, they were like a, a, a internet group and nobody really gave me um, any um, attention. And I think then, I think somebody mentioned them in the news and now the New York Times is covering them and now they're getting like yeah. Vice, mm. Vice documentaries uh, or Vice interviews with them. It's like, yep. it's like, it's like when, what's the threshold between, what's the threshold from being anonymous and being like, okay, that's just something that's happening right now. We don't have to give too much power to it. As opposed to something where it's like, okay, we should cover this. We should probably cover this. I, I, I get that. That's a big contention for me a lot. I don't know. I can't even choose sometimes. Because like, um, 
one time there was um like like the whole white lives matter and i don't want to get too deep into that but like yeah if when people were doing that and the order blue lives matter with the cops and everything and i and i was gonna write an article about this on um, for digital trends and i sat back and i was like why don't i just do an article about the people who are using their the citizens are using their their um their time to be citizen journalists and going out there and reporting the real news instead of covering something where it has a total one-sided bias for it like it's totally about like we're going against this movement of black lives matter with blue lives matter the entire name is against them mm-hmm. so it's like yeah. it's, it's a kind of antagonistic it's not like they have their own set of values a set of core values that are intrinsic of what they want and separate of another group i think once you get to that point you have to and this might just be and this is slippery soap again which is why it's, it's hard to decide it's, yeah no. it's because then if you don't want to go against if you don't want to give antagonistic groups too big of a platform you didn't decide which group is antagonistic and which right group is, is i i think it, it's how you make my myself personally how you handle the information now so if we're talking about like the charleston situation that has to be reported. Yeah. We're going to report yeah. on that. And I think very few media, like, you know, outlets really went down and covered it because when I go from channel to channel, it's funny, everybody used the same vice footage to, <laughs> to sort of like, you know, report on the whole Charleston situation. So if we're reporting on something that's happening in real time or like, you know, like a political climate or whatever, all right, fine, like cover that. Now, when we're getting in deeper and we're we're having sit down interviews with people, if if I disagree with you, but we're starting at like you know we have the sort of same like what I was saying, what you were saying about the intrinsic values, we acknowledge each other as human beings, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know what I mean. Then that's that's fine. If I'm starting a conversation with you and you're like, yeah, you're not human, you're subhuman, you're somehow like you know it's hard to really catch up with you because we're starting off on like, you know, two different footings. So at that point, that's not really worth a a conversation. But if I disagree with you, then if I don't agree with what you're saying, I I wouldn't make you go away. I would argue a counterpoint. Mm -hmm. So let's debate that. Let me debunk you or, or prove you wrong with facts rather than make you go away. Well, I mean, think I mean, as great as that sounds to have these, you know, yeah, political debates that actually lead somewhere. I, I hate to say it, but you know, these days it yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> no, Everyone, you're right. Yeah. I, you know, people get into these arguments, and, and trust me, I've, I've fallen for it before. Where yeah. you know, I want to engage somebody. We have very different opinions, and I feel very strongly about something, and they feel very strongly about something. And you know, all right, let's sit down, let's hash it out, let's talk. We're you know, even with friends or people that I respect. I think you're wrong, you think I'm wrong, let's you know, just have a conversation. By the end of the conversation, I'm gonna get more entrenched in my views, they're more entrenched mm-hmm. in their views, and we just don't like each other anymore. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it, it doesn't, I, I, it's tough because I find it doesn't, it doesn't help. Um, and it's sometimes easier to abstain from engaging those conversations when you know, you're very firm on your stance and they're very firm on their stance. You're not gonna get anywhere. Well, I mean, um, are but, these but points not like talking. being backed up by facts or? Yes, and then everybody goes on their phone and finds an article yep. on Google that backs up their opinion. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, there's sucks. so many arguments now, whether it's like uh, Second Amendment rights, abortion, any contentious issue. Mm-hmm. The, the information that's out there is so skewed that even finding reliable sources of information, you can really back up just about any controversial opinion now with facts because someone has put the facts out there and they kind of sometimes look 
legitimate or you know backed by a study by reputable organizations yep. sometimes it's really tough uh -huh. to have these intellectual debates because the waters have been so muddied and you know both sides are coming to the argument with facts that they believe in and now all of a sudden it's, it's a matter of who believes in their facts mm -hmm. um and now you know like i think i think the reason why we're in such a difficult place politically is because it used to be uh, traditionally it was a matter of debating the same set of facts, the same statistics, the same numbers, the same studies. We're going to talk about what they mean, and you think they mean one thing, I think they mean another thing, and we'll, we'll debate, but we're going off the same source of information. Mm. Now, a lot of the debates, um, my source of information and your source inf of information are, are drastically different, um, and now all of a sudden we're back to a matter of belief. I believe in my stats and my facts and my yeah. data and my news organizations that I'm you know, getting my information from. And, they're believing theirs and we're not even arguing in the same, you know, reality anymore. Yeah, that's that's tough. And that's kind of, and that's what I feel like that's what Alex Jones got swept up in is Facebook's attempt to become to un finally understand what they really mean to this world as a I don't want to say repository but more as a a conduit for the truth or for information. I mean, I think seven, I think the stat was like 70% of Americans get their news from Facebook. That's crazy. Or that's some scary. some scary like that. And for, for a while, it's like, I don't think Alex Jones would have ever been taken off if the election never happened. That whole Russia scandal and how there was a lot of fake news or uh, erroneous news and yeah. erroneous posts coming out. Because then once that happened, it really set off a uh, um, discussion about should these platforms have that much power? And if they do, do they need to be you know regulated in a way? Do they need to be regulated more so than just saying, oh, you're a private company, you figure it out. It's like... But now it's like you're a private company, but you've gotten so big. That yeah, Facebook. I mean, they bought WhatsApp for like whatever billion yeah. dollars. Like, I mean, that's crazy. And it's pocket change. Yeah, pocket change. Yeah, crazy. Apple's like a trillion dollar. I mean, we're we're living in like a time now where like corporations could just sort of like when a mm -hmm. a company could gobble up a whole other monopoly. That's like yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I think I think isn't Facebook yeah. giving out like internet service in like subterranean Africa yeah, yeah. and you can use it to get on Facebook. It's like they've, they've run out of users in the uh, developed world so they're yeah, giving internet yeah, to parts much. of the world that don't have internet so they can get more users because they need more data. That's insane. Like that right there is yeah. just, it could be a future when half or even more than half of the world is on Facebook. And once you get, to, I mean, I think right now, when you get to the point right now, you just be somewhere. That's a lot of power to have. It's a lot yeah. of power Yeah, you know, actually, it's interesting. A few years ago, I had a conversation uh, with Alexis Ohanian, um, founder of Reddit, and, oh. and we talked about whether he felt the responsibility to yeah, his policing platform, yeah. the mm -hmm. platform because, you know, a lot of amazing things happen on Reddit and a lot of dark and scary things happen on Reddit. And at the time, he was very much of the opinion that, you know, we're staying out of it. We're not here to police the content. It's whatever happens there happens there and it's sort of self-policing in that you know if there's one community that's being disruptive or putting out false information another community comes in mm -hmm. and kind of corrects them or but since that conversation there's been a few communities that have been taken off of reddit particularly inappropriate stuff that really you know it's black and white it crosses the line yeah. for sure yeah. um and i feel like over the years the that one platform maybe the others as well as yeah, as you said, starting to realize the power that they have in, you know, not just these sort of fringe communities that are going to be having these conversations amongst themselves, whether you stop them or not, they'll find a way to find each other and talk about it. But they're building this community online in the sort of dark corners of the Internet. And at some point, 
you need to be responsible as the platform that's hosting those conversations um, in, in sort of slowing it down or stopping it, not saying that you can sort of abolish it, but stop it from spreading any yeah. further. But it's, it's really it's a thin line and it's a slippery and slope it's, and it's a tough one. to. I, I could see that they were struggling with it a uh, lot. It's, I, I feel like I'm, I'm living in the world a bit as I want it to be versus as it is. Yeah. If, if we're having conversations about, of course, if there's a, a Reddit forum where they're basically talking about something that, that's criminal, then like definitely that has to be shut down. Anything that leads to harm to another person, I'm, I'm pretty much very pro, I don't want to say I'm like libertarian or anything, but like if your personal choices don't really infringe on mm-hmm. in, on my life in any way, shape or form, I don't really care what you, what you right. do or like, you know. Well, I think 2016 was an eye opener for a lot of people that thought, you know, there's these little communities out there and they're screaming into the void at each other and, you know, they they're have harmless. very extreme beliefs, yeah. but there's so few of them, they're not going to have an impact. Shock me. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's been a long two years since 2016 yeah. and I think we've learned a lot about what happens when you just sort of pretend like there's nothing there and just let them be mm-hmm. they find each they, other they it grows they yeah. recruit it's it was an eye-opener that that since then and and this whole conversation you know if you'd asked me two years ago I'd, I'd have a lot different beliefs because mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it play out to the extreme and I think in the last two years we've seen things play out you know Charlottesville being one example yeah. and where, where conversations on the internet have some real yeah. world results and implications and it's, and it's scary but drawing the line requires us to think really hard about where the first amendment ends and it's, it, there is no clear line in the sand yeah, I, I, yeah it makes it really tough yeah. so making a, a slight shift where we're still talking about you know social media and, and digital platforms but um, one of the things that's also interests me and sort of captured my attention recently is, is privacy I was reading an article about how a social platform uh, a woman was basically online um, and her her computer or like you know her social media platform i think it was facebook knew she was pregnant before she was mm. before she did yeah and oh, wow. i was like I, i'm not sure which platform it was i'm thinking it's facebook or it's google or something but they, they, they figured out yeah they figured out she was pregnant and a- advertising baby products before she even realized she was pregnant and she found out she was pregnant afterwards and she was a little distraught because it's like how they know i mean of course at at this point we we realize like you know they collect data on everyone and like once like you know the data is collected and everything's like you know aggregated like figure out through whatever like you know algorithm what kind of data does they have on her to know she was pregnant but like facebook they know everything man like it's even when you leave facebook i think there was uh they admitted that even when you leave facebook they they track like the next couple of sites you go through like you know a lot of people browse the internet like through facebook and through through whatever choices they they basically have data not only on you but a ton of other people and i can tell you right now instagram is going to be because we're we follow each other on instagram yeah. i can tell you your posts are going to be coming up a lot more in my feed because our phones are in the same room right now nice that's the extent of data that they're collecting i like your content so that, oh, that works out <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah. but with something like that um i think it goes back to the whole um cambridge analytica thing where it came mm-hmm. to like there's certain things that you don't even know you're giving your privacy away to. You don't know who's, how you're, how a little thing like a, like a quiz, personality quiz can just lead to 
them going to connect to connecting to like all your friends and all your friends' friends and things like things of that nature. So I mean, I think that is that's scary. But at the same time, it's also I mean, I think every te- technological innovation has this there's gonna be some nefarious kind of behavior yeah. when it comes to convenience. Because that is scary to her, but at the same time when you are going through and searching through like ESPN or you're watching some games or you or you're doing something you're not even thinking about, oh man, I wonder if this team's before is is, is playing next week around where I'm at and then you get an advertisement for it. You're like, okay, yeah, that's helpful. So like those kind of little like conveniences, there's a lot of things like concessions you gotta give to that. We're we're not as concerned about privacy as we once were as no, a as a society. Yeah, People willingly give this information. I think it does make life more convenient. Yeah. But at the same time there's this quote, there's there's no dignity without without privacy. If mm. they know everything you're doing, like where like at what point do you draw the line? I went to a, a friend of mine's house. I don't know if you remember the the failed experiment that was like Google TV is like a box, set-top box. <laughs> I don't remember so, that. <laughs> yeah, this is a while ago. But even then, like, um, it was like, of course, it was it was an Android platform on on the the television, and he oh, yeah. he called Domino's. The game was on. He was watching through Google TV. Called Domino's Pizza, of course, on his Android phone. Ordered pizza, delivered to the house, so on and so forth. We ate. Next time there was a game, as we were watching the game a little pop-up came in the corner. This was years ago. This was like maybe five years ago. A little pop-up came up and it was like, hey, Nick, you in the mood for Domino? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's really, that's convenient yeah. because it was weird because we were sitting there like, hey, are you hungry? And then it literally came up like mm-hmm. in the mood for Domino's. So yeah, we, we ordered it, but at the same time, as we devoured the pizza, we were, we were concerned. <laughs> I, I can tell you, I'm not comfortable having uh, an AI assistant in my home right now. And and people, you can call me paranoid if you want. I don't want an Alexa. I don't want a Google Home. I don't mm. want Siri. I don't want none of that listening to, to me at all times. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I've had the option of getting it. Uh, people assume that I, I want that kind of thing <laughs> because I'm a techie guy. But um, the horror stories that I hear just online and... I don't know, maybe I am being paranoid, but I'm, I just, something about it creeps me out and I'm not comfortable having something that can be listening to my conversations at all times plugged into the internet in my home. Yeah, um, that's just I mean, where I draw the line. It's, it's hackable. I mean, anything yeah. networked is, is hackable. And, and, and I hate to say it, we're journalists. We are yeah. more of a target than your average yeah, person, um, which it would be stupid to ignore that entirely. Yeah, you don't definitely. want to be paranoid, but it's, it's something that every once in a while you just, Got to remember my my home tapes. If anyone drops that, it's pretty mundane. Like no one's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> it's just you seeking share in yeah, the shower. Yeah, it's 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 literally just hours of of desperate quiet. <laughs> it's so lonely. No, um, not the like uh, media agenda. No, and, uh, no plotting just, to change just, the discourse. No, so so quiet <laughs> and just hours of of Xbox and just desperate. It's it's sad. I, I hope they don't put that out. It's it's embarrassing. And and that's oh. and I think that's a, a scary part of where our society is at now is that the big the big um whenever you hear about um companies that are like why is this company coming out when there's a, it's already a, a Facebook why is this company coming out when it's already a Snapchat and then you hear oh because they want to sell data to marketing companies yeah it's like data is gold right now data has mm-hmm. been of gold course. for years and I think. And I don't, I don't, I honestly don't think that the average person knows that. I don't think the average person knows I, that. I think it's starting to change a little it's bit. It's, it's starting to. I think five years ago, even I didn't really consider the implications of using social media all the yeah. time and, you know, how I was being tracked. And I think 
you know, I haven't necessarily changed my behavior. I think I'm just more aware of the fact that I'm, these platforms aren't free, you know, like Instagram and yeah. Facebook and Google, they're trading in your data. That mm -hmm. is the currency that you are giving them. And I think that there was less understanding about the power of that in, in, you know, the, the everyday, I mean, we're all techie people, but I think the rest of the world is coming around to understand that, you know, this, this stuff isn't totally free. The, yeah. the cost is your information and your data. You're what's for sale. Like exactly. if, if the platform's free, you're, you're what's being sold. And if you're not comfortable with that, I think people finally understand it to the point where, you know, you, the, the privacy agreement that you click on when you sign up for Facebook was that a joke. No, no one read No one Nobody ever read No one that. read it. No. I think now people are starting to realize what the implications are of being on these platforms just because of, you know, the last few years. And, you know, Facebook had a big ad apologizing for it. And Which is so weird. It was so, so strange. Awkward, yeah. Oh, man. It's not like they're changing. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about, like, the, that's not how their entire empire is built. It's like, oh, we don't need your data anymore. Like, yeah, well, nah. that's nah. Not, we're not paying for it. We know what nah. you're doing. Like, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. But that brings up the, the funny, the um, the funniest moment probably of tech in this whole year was when Mark Zuckerberg was talking to the um Supreme Court. I don't know Supreme Court. Uh, that was such a and, weird and, dude. And then they asked him, yeah. "But how do you make money off of Facebook?" And he was like, "Ad is senator ads," and yeah. I, and you could see their faces. All the senators like they still don't they still didn't understand yeah. what that yeah. meant. Like, what do you mean ads? He like, he he was explaining what how Facebook worked, dude. That whole thing that was whole just thing like was cringeworthy. It was, yeah, it was so weird to watch. Oh I, I think the divide between the decision makers and the lawmakers and the technology industry <laughs> couldn't be wider. There's yeah. such a lack of understanding. I think uh, I mean, you know, Zuckerberg knows exactly how the government works. I don't think the government has any idea how Zuckerberg Zuckerberg yeah. works or how Facebook works. And I think for the I think for the best too, to to a certain extent, because then when you get the government too entrenched into um the take the tech side you get certain things like countries that just um like in china how they'll just block out certain sites they'll block out yeah, certain we're talking about like um yeah. like a lot of google employees had like a a, a little disagreement with google yeah. as a company because of the, the the privacy situation over in in china but yeah. at the same time what it's china what are you gonna do like <laughs> yeah you're gonna fight the Chinese gonna government. Fight the, I mean, you can try. You gonna lose. I mean, but then you have companies. <laughs> I mean, it's China. I think any other country, it's it's a toss up because you have a lot of countries. Again, it's a lot of power to have. Where yeah. like you're making more than the GDP of yep. like a whole nation. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's insane. But also, China doesn't need Facebook at all. No, it doesn't. No. China has their own WeChat. They have, have, WeChat does everything. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's their Uber. It's their you know eBay. It's their Every every social media platform, every, basically every app that we have on our phone, WeChat does, yeah. and then tracks. Which would be terrifying in America. Yes, yeah. if that and happened. Their their facial recognition tech is like ridiculous, which is another horrible segue. But um, <laughs> you're on a roll. I was man. I was I was, um, I was reading up on quantum computing because I I saw a, a Vice special. I, I've I've always been fascinated with it, but for some reason I wanted to bone up and. I think China is spending twice as much as we are on on quantum tech and, and research, and um, if they made a significant enough breakthrough in um, any type of quantum technology, there is literally no cybersecurity solution we have that could stop them from getting it. There's nothing I, we could do. I interviewed Jimmy Yang um, from Silicon Valley, and he said that his friend lost his wallet in China in some in some random bar and they had enough cameras to piece together every piece of his movement and find his wallet in like 20 minutes what? and that's right now and that's yeah. and that's right now that's crazy so that right there and I mean 
one, I didn't, and I I think I remember um, four or five years ago when I heard that, I think it was Russia somewhere that was selling CCTVs to private companies mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So they could use that data or use that to like, you know, for marketing and stuff like that. And I think that's the, the next frontier that might just be the big story next year, the big story in two years is how much of the cameras that you're walking around, how much of the things you think are like government controlled or really being sold off mm-hmm. to private companies. Cause I, I, I personally don't know I mean, you guys are super, super knowledgeable. Yeah, like privacy, like the way it's looking now, privacy is going to be like a a convenience that not a lot of people are going to be able to afford, man. Yeah. It's it's going to be like a commodity for for the well off because the it's it's not even just a a convenience thing anymore. Certain like uh, platforms that you basically need to sign on like the internet isn't like a, a option anymore this yeah. is like it's a utility like, exactly yeah. it's like not having uh you know electricity now so like i i see platforms like facebook growing into these these massive like you know like you like facebook isn't even really part of the internet anymore it feels it feels like it's like this sort of parallel That's to the to the yeah it's yeah. like it runs parallel to the internet it's this whole other thing now mm-hmm. now of course it's, it's built and it's it's accessed through the internet but it's its, it's whole own like but you never really have to leave the app to yeah. do anything else and they're they've purchased whatsapp of course they own instagram it's yeah, i i knew where you were at this weekend like we, we never had a conversation <laughs> yeah so i, I would only imagine though. yeah i know but stuff. i could only i could only imagine what type of information that like you know like i don't want to put it on mark zuckerberg but like the the Facebook team and I I doubt they didn't know what was going on with that information. That's a good that's a good point you just said. And um, how much do you put on the Mark Zuckerberg's of uh, Facebook, the, the 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 jacks of of Twitter? How much do you put this this um this onus on to go back to the other point and this point about privacy and free speech? How much of these decisions do you think should be should be theirs? And how much? And because uh, my idea is that I think this should be a separate council. I think there should be like a, a, a um, independent council that really governs what is um, just and what isn't just because um, Zuckerberg said somewhere it's like he does, like their algorithm doesn't know how to de- detect hate speech yet mm-hmm. it, it can't it can't actually detect what's hate speech all the time and just take it off and I feel like that's an issue that's a huge issue because it's like if you no. can't detect hate, hate speech and you're letting that just fly by and it, it, it that means it'll require people coming to you being like hey yo this is kind of bad um this guy's kind of offending me but what's hate speech though that i think that's what becomes the the problem because it goes back to the alex jones conversation where do you draw the line exactly it's it's sticky territory i hate certain food like you know what i mean it's like i mean to give you an example um you know uh, i'm uh, toronto i'm from toronto toronto recently had like the first terrorist attack ever it wasn't really a terrorist attack necessarily it was uh uh, a guy from the incel community. I don't know if you've heard of this. Yeah, that is That's one of fascinating. Those, it, is, it is a fascinating case study, especially yeah. within the context of this conversation, because on yeah. the one hand, it's this community of people that found each other online, and it started off as a thing of support, and you know, it started with positive atten- intentions, and it became very violent very quickly and, and hateful and angry. And, and so at what point do you 
draw the line and say this has gone from uh, a community that's trying to help each other to a community that's inciting violence. So, you know, where do you draw the exact line? And you know, it's it, so it's creepy. A, that whole situation is just yeah. But it, it shows you how what's lurking in the dark corners of the internet, mm-hmm. you know, could potentially come out and, and attack. Um, and and but at the same time, it's. It started with innocent enough intentions, and it was kind of a support group to begin with. So, yeah, it's kind of hard to say, you know, at this point they became violent, and at this yeah. point they became dangerous. Um, because it, 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 on the surface, it's the kind of thing that the internet was made for. It's, it's a group of people that are missing something, and they need someone else that they can relate to, that they can build a community around so that they can share their experiences and, and ideally work through it as a community. Um, it's just when that turns violence, um, you know, it's it's really scary because there's so much. It takes what's good about the internet and turns it ugly really quickly, yeah. and and so the only way to get that, you know, to abolish that is to abolish the internet, which is never going to happen. So yeah. that's that's kind of what keeps me up at night is, is that it's, thought yeah. i mean like first of all like the whole incel thing is like ridiculously creepy I, when i when mm-hmm. i first heard about it i thought it was a joke like I, I didn't think it was real but uh i mean i had to explain to my mother me. why there was an attack on you know people in a couple neighborhoods over and and the more i spoke the more ridiculous i felt like i sounded yeah. <laughs> Because I'm trying to explain to her in layman's terms what happened and to the average person, like, that's still, like, I can explain it as best I can. You can read about it on the news. It's still, like, holy I mean, crap. For, like, for the listeners that, that don't know, to my knowledge, the whole incel situation is a bunch of guys it, who feel that sex is uh, a right. Well, it's, it's so incel is uh, acronym, or it's short form for involuntarily celibate. Yeah. Um, Basically, it's a community of people that are struggling with the opposite sex. Not necessarily male, but it's heavily dominated by men. Um, it was actually founded by uh, a lesbian woman. Um, and it, was, it began as an organization or as an online community where people can come together and talk about their experiences and share advice. Um, it grew ugly over time because uh, these sort of pickup artists who were selling books and DVDs and podcasts about how to get over that, how to you know attract the opposite sex, they were earning a lot of money off of these people without really providing them uh, a real solution. And when they would spend money on these solutions and nothing changed, they had become more frustrated. And, and I think the, one of the most difficult parts about that community is the people who have come through it and are now healthy and living a fulfilled life. And you know, they leave the community as soon as things are good. The only people that are left in the community are, are the people who are really struggling. Um, and it's just people sort of talking about their own struggles, but there isn't anybody who can, there aren't a lot of people who can come in and say, you know, this is something I went through and it gets better and it, because it was such a fringe thing. And over time, it became, it started with a, uh, a I don't know if you want to call it a terrorist attack, but it started mm-hmm. with a violent act in California. I forget the guy's mm-hmm. name. Um, and then it, it recently happened again in, in Toronto. And this sort of fringe corner of the internet that was supposed to be a support group is, turned into uh, violence. And I, I don't want to trivialize anyone's like personal struggles, but that is... Yes. It's like... <laughs> I, I'm saying, like, hey, listen like, to like, No, it's like, guys, get off the internet, go outside. If I, I thought it was mostly men. The way it was like characterized, yeah. it was like a group of guys well, that... Because if it's like... If it's like men and women, 
That's like how the began. solution to me would have been like, why don't you guys <laughs> just Wait, yeah, where, where's the meetup? Yeah, um, just just do a meetup. Meet yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a really good podcast done by uh, Reply All uh, not too long ago, who interviewed the original founder of the group, um, who who has now had to sort of go underground and goes by a, a pseudonym because it's become such a contentious issue. And uh, but they they got this interview and it was really fascinating to hear sort of the, the very innocent and supportive origins of this community and how over the years it got it more and more of, dark. Right. So why why wouldn't she come out maybe and like, you know, speak out against I think she her word holds a little she, bit more weight. That's why she did the podcast okay, to say that she was disgusted at where things have come, but um to people in the community and beyond, there's a lot of anger towards her because uh people are sort of putting the uh, they're putting the actions in in correctly putting the actions of others on her shoulders yeah. um so i can understand the the need for some privacy has, in that has sense. anybody in that community like applauded or supported the violence that's been going on that's the difficult mm. part i mean because it, it wasn't just one incident it was yeah. one incident and then the next one in toronto um the guy left a, a video or, or a manifesto or something behind i forget what it was exactly where he praised the original attacker from California. Mm. And so there's a direct link between the two. And, you know, people are still trying to struggle, struggling to figure out who these people are. And in the meantime, they're, you know, being violent. It's a fascinating conversation. I, I, I have to wrap because time constraints and everything, yeah. but I definitely want to pick up this conversation or like maybe do this again in the future. Yeah, and I'm getting right. signaled by the camera guy that we got to wrap up soon. Thanks guys for coming out. Like, I really didn't want to stop talking about Me this. Either. Like, the, and it's weird to close on the incel thing. Um, I feel like whenever we get to a dark topic, we're like, all right, now it's time to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Before we, we get too depressed. Thanks to our sponsors, of course, by Samsung Techs, Whoop, Catalyst Case, and our hosts here at Equal Space. Thanks again to both my guests, Keith and Jared. You guys got to come out again sometime soon. Definitely. Awesome sure. conversation. And uh, thanks to everybody listening. Uh, this has been the CTM Podcast.